Author's Choice. And tonight, today, we have an absolute cracker. He's a writer, a comedian, a stand-up artist, an actor, a commentator. Hello, my babies. It's the Joe Stapleton Show. Hello, my Ross Gaff. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for listing all of those things, <laughs> that most of which are just expensive hobbies. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's an impressive CV, uh, regardless whether you paid for or earned them. Um, illustrious career. A man of uh, jack-of-all-trades, masters of probably quite a few as well, so... That's you know. the first time anyone's ever used the word career to describe me and didn't do air quotes <laughs> when they said it. I'm having career. to keep my hands under here because I've been told when I do this, I do a lot of the old sign language. So that might be the reason why. But um, how's, uh, how's life anyway, Joe? How's uh, lockdown been treating you? Life has been okay for me during lockdown. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work a little bit. I've been fortunate enough to be quarantined with a young lady who um, is the most fun human being that I could possibly be locked down with. And we uh, wish that lockdown wasn't happening, but we do make each other laugh quite a bit. We have fun. We have our fun during lockdown. So I've been really lucky. I haven't gotten sick. I have managed to keep working. And I, uh, my relationship somehow is stronger now than the day <laughs> lockdown started. So um, I'm super, super lucky. Always have been. You have to be lucky to get as far as I have with no talent whatsoever. Well, I mean, um, I'm sure a few people would disagree. Uh, you do bring a smile to a lot of people's faces. And that's not just when you leave the stage. That is right. when you come on the stage, you know, so... <laughs> But I mean, it's been tough um, for a lot of people uh, in our sort of world, the, the kind of poker world with the dealers, the floor staff. Uh, has it affected you as much as it would have affected us? Because obviously we can't leave the house, we can't travel because there's no poker on. So has yeah. it affected you the same? Or I mean, I did lose some work because of it, um, but I've been lucky that a lot of what I was going to do translated to doing stuff online. So I'm nowhere nearly as affected as you guys would be. On the, I think there was a, I, I think I made a donation to uh, the European dealers fund that went around early on. My guess is that that probably didn't go super far. Every little helps. I mean, of course, making, of course, I'm making a contribution. Is like, regardless whether you get one cent, one dollar out of it, or a hundred dollars out of yeah. it, yeah, better than nothing. And we are all at, so. Are you guys, because of that, are you more uh, in a hurry to get back out into the world and get back to work? Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people, but I don't, I like, obviously that's, there have to be those people. And that's not, I don't think that's necessarily an opinion I would want to fight anybody on. Like, yeah, man, I get it. Like people got to go back to work like that. that makes. I mean, don't get me wrong from the sort of pandemic point of view. um, I want to go back, but I want to be safe. Now I see in America, there's a lot of card rooms opened up in uh, Florida, Tampa. We have a few in Eastern Europe as well. Whether it's right or wrong, things have got to try and get back to where they were. Now, we will soon find out if it was the right idea or the wrong idea. I want to get back because 
the UK has been different in certain parts of the world. You were only allowed out up until recently once a day for essential exercise. Um, yeah. So it can drive you up the wall. Um, some people love love uh, lockdown. Some people did, would just social distance themselves 24 hours a day if they could get away with it. Uh, but sometimes when you're told you have to do it, it's kind of yeah, a positive of negative. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, totally. it's not the... It's not the greatest. Uh, I mean, you, you're based... Okay, so Joe, you're uh, based in LA at the moment. Is that correct? I live in Los Angeles, the city of angels. Have you ever heard of it? No. Um, I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of sang a song. I think about it. They kind of sang a hundred songs about it, yeah. <laughs> so what's it like over there at the moment under the circumstances? Are you allowed to leave the house or is that just normal? Well, we live in a police state. Okay. And no... Um, California um, is an interesting place. There's more people living in Los Angeles County than live in like 30 or 35 states. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a mixed thing here, but uh, you know, people were pretty serious about the lockdown here. People respected it. People uh, for the most part went along with it. And uh, as a result, our, our numbers never really got high. <clears throat> now, they stayed consistent, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, but they never got high. Like, they never got New York City high. They never got uh, New Jersey high. They never got, you know, what, what they're seeing in Texas and stuff now. Yeah, yeah. That never happened. So uh, things were pretty tightly locked down for a while. Then they started opening up some bars and restaurants uh, for socially distant <laughs> like modified service. Um, you know, some places you got to wear a mask, some places you can only eat outside, yada, yada. But I think those got shut down again as of 9 p.m. last oh. night. Okay. Yeah. So things are uh, basically what happened was as uh, people were relaxing the last couple of weeks, I was like, I think things are going to get bad again. And not only do they get bad again, but it happened like immediately, like so fast that it's probably from something else. Yeah. And not even from this yeah. recent relaxation like that. The effects of that are coming still, you know, in the weeks after this. So, yeah. um, so there was, but I will say that the brief reprieve we had here in Los Angeles <clears throat> where people kind of felt like things were getting better. I think hopefully that let out some of the pressure. Yeah. Some of the steam, like people got a taste of going to, some people went to a restaurant again. Some people, you know, went to a <laughs> store again for the first time. Uh, you know, in several months, hopefully that like rejuvenated people a little bit or, or it could just crush their souls entirely yeah. having <laughs> come so close to being able to taste yeah. sunlight again. Be like I seen out of Braveheart, everybody running and shouting freedom, trying to get to the pub and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine that's what it's going to be like when we eventually allow, get allowed to go to the pub for some people. I mean, personally, I will let the guinea pigs go and do their thing for the first couple <laughs> of days. <laughs> I'm not going to be one of the first people out. Um, I, I wouldn't like to risk it. And then, I mean, three, four months we've been quarantined, locked in for my partner works for the NHS. Uh, if you don't know, it's like National Health Service. Or yeah. I will know. Um, so we've not seen each other properly for three and a half, four months. And it has been very, very friggin' tough. Um, Dude, that's excruciating. I don't know how you've um, been able to do it. You know, like we 
see a friend every now and again. Yeah. Um, not that you're not seeing anybody, but specifically <clears throat> him, right? Like he's, you know, because he's uh, in and out of the hospital or doctor's office all day, every day. That makes sense. I don't know, man. I think I would have broken at some point. I think I would have just been like, get over here. I have to hug you. Like, yeah. it's, it's tough, but you've, you've got to respect uh, for her. It's her job. It's her livelihood. So if I was to get anything or give her anything, if there would be a chance, it, it would, it would set her back. And it's not fair on her because she has to day to day. No, of course. No, it's so important. People, so. Yeah, no, yeah. her job's so, so important. <clears throat> like you can't, you can't but mess with that. I don't, just, I'm just glad I'm not in that position. Yeah. I mean, we just got to be grateful for when we eventually do be allowed. Um, we just got to be grateful for what we've got. I mean, yeah, shit happens. There's people in a lot of a worse state. And we just I will gotta... never complain about a hand job ever again. <laughs> I would just be like, oh, please, my God. Thank you God. You went saying that last night. <laughs> Thank God I can have another hand job. This is all I thought I would never. I thought I was going to be a door, a door jam job. For yeah, the rest oh, of my life. Oh. <laughs> yes. Anyway, moving on. Um, so, you were born 1982. It was a great year because that was the same year as me. Um, to mother and father, Marty and Bill, and brother, John, and it was in New York. That's correct. What was life like growing up in, uh, was that a suburb? Or uh, a... It w- uh, yeah, no, I grew up in, in a city. I grew up city. in a... Yeah, and you could call it an inner city. It was one of those places where um, the neighborhood was kind of uh, deteriorating. And uh, we moved to the suburbs when I was like 12 or 13 years old. But I lived in a very – I got mugged the first time I went uh, trick-or-treating by myself, like without my parents, my brother and I. We got got (laughs) mugged. We were dressed up like old ladies, and they took the purses, which had all of our candy in it. And to this day, I don't know if they if they thought they were robbing trick or treaters or old ladies. Because dude got in October, a, yeah. Dude got yeah, October thirty first. Dude got in a car and drove away. <laughs> Robbed two ten like a ten year old and an eight year old. What a piece of shit. Yes, you shouldn't laugh because you know. That is quite bad. Um, so it was, a, was it a rough sort of neighborhood you grew up in, or was it just... Yeah, it was pretty tough. Pretty tough neighborhood. Uh, <clears throat> I don't really remember much of it, because, uh, like I said, we moved over like 12 or 13. I've blocked out most of my life, Ross. <laughs> um, I don't remember uh, anything yeah. about I mean... any era of my life, except for, like, yesterday. <laughs> This is going to be fun. <laughs> so you, be, well, you went to Boston University where you studied uh, first sort of venture with film and television. Yes. And you passed that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Passing. I mean, that's not, it's not difficult to do. What, what made you go in that sort of direction in your life for film and television? Um, I really liked superheroes as a kid. Uh, as I don't think is that uncommon. No. And I I got uh, I, what I thought was, I got really sad when I came to the realization that there are no superheroes. <laughs> uh, and then I got kind of happy again when I was like, well, no, superheroes are kind of real in film, in television. Like they still serve a purpose. They still... You know, it's like they're not real, but they the feelings they create are. So I was like, 
the closest I could ever be to actually being a superhero would be to make somebody else feel those feelings that superheroes made me feel. And so I was like, well, there's only one place to do that. One ticket to California, please. <laughs> As we said, you, you, you passed. Um, and you got, was it a, a job straight after that? Was it Mad Television or Mad TV? Yeah, Mad TV was a late night sketch comedy show <clears> that <throat> ran for 14 seasons. It ran up, up against Saturday Night Live. Wow. Um, and, and everyone kind of referred to it as like the poor man's Saturday Night Live, including myself, until I started <laughs> working there. Um, and then I just absolutely fell in love with the show. And I was like, you know, I think it's actually superior to SNL in many ways. I was one of those people um, because I just loved it. It was my family, my second family. I moved to California when I was, uh, couldn't even drink yet. I couldn't even legally drink. And so this first job, they were like my parents, you know, like these, the bosses that I had and I worked there for seven seasons and the day, uh, it got canceled. I cried. I had to leave. I had to leave the the building. I was so, you know, like, obviously I wasn't like devastated. Like, Oh, what am I going to do with my life? I was like, Holy shit. Like this <clears> is my family. We're all, you know, not probably going to see each other much yeah. after this. So that's, uh, that hit me pretty hard, but man, was it a fucking fun job? What was it you done? Was it like, were you writing like uh, clips and stuff or was it, I wish, man. I wasn't a writer on that show. I sweat the writer's nuts so hard. I started off as a production assistant. I was just a guy who's like got people lunch and stocked the fridges uh -huh. and uh, delivered scripts. And that was such a fucking cool job, man. I wish everybody could get a chance to have a job that cool because you get to do everything yeah. on the TV show. Everything that's happening, you're involved in it. And um, it really does become like a family, but I got to meet lots of cool writers, really successful, talented writers, uh, ones who have gone on to write for Parks and Rec and for 30 Rock uh, and for Scrubs. Um, and then a cast that was just like so cool and so sweet and, um, you know, also included people that went on to be really, who are like, I see on a daily, almost daily uh -huh. basis now, um, not uh, in life, but like on television and, <laughs> and you know, in interviews and stuff like that. So yeah, man, that was, that was a fucking cool job. I started as a production assistant and then I worked my way up to something called production coordinator. Okay. And uh, production coordinator, it was a union job and it paid $1,200 a week. And it was the most money I could possibly imagine any person <laughs> ever making. <laughs> Cause I was like yeah. 21 or 22 years old. And I was like, I get, a th I get over a thousand dollars a week. <laughs> a fucking week. <laughs> what am I, I was like, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just have to like heat my apartment by burning all the money I'm making. <laughs> and then what happened was bec because I was making it like, okay, fun money. Like, you know, for a 21 year old, like plenty of money. Yeah. Um, that I didn't really focus very hard on, on advancing as a writer, as a comedian, as those things that I um, moved to Los Angeles to do. I was just too busy, like drinking and dating. Spend the money uh, basically. Then, yeah. Spend, I mean, look, I was working 60 hours a week minimum. They were like 60, 70 hours a week, uh, hour a week. So we didn't have like a ton. I didn't have a ton of free time anyway, but 
when I did have free time, I wasn't <laughs> writing. I wasn't like coming up with skit ideas. I was just like going to the bar and uh, yeah. forgetting my credit card there and going back in the morning. Like just that was <laughs> that was my life. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could say it held you in good stead because you would have picked up a lot of um, a lot of what you, as you say, the people you've seen that went on to bigger and brighter things from Mad TV. But you would have picked up little bits that they would have done. And um, do you think that's kind of held you in good stead going forward in your career with writing and stuff like that? Or yeah, of course. I think <clears throat> that you know, even though I I kind of was really lazy mm -hmm. during that point of my life, it's not a worthless point of my life. There are still uh, things I learned, uh, connections that I made, mm -hmm. um, you know, just little things you pick up on. I didn't use that time to the best of my ability, but I certainly got a lot out of it still. Yeah. Um, one of which being that the way that some of the cast members treated the nobodies uh -huh. was so genuine and so thoughtful and so kind that I was like, I kind of want to be famous just so I can be as cool as these guys are to the people that are around them. And you see that like somebody like, uh, you know, just the act of coming up and saying, hello, Hey, can I shake your hand? Can I be in a photo with you? And they'd be like, Oh my God, absolutely. What's your name? Where are you? you from oh that's crazy my cousin like and we're just like the most gracious yeah kind-hearted people and i was like <clears throat> i want to do that i want to be that for somebody yes and i want to if that ever happens in my life i want to remain i don't ever want to be the guy that's like oh these fucking people yeah yes um people who remember where they came from remember they used to be that person well and i came from the lap of luxury so <laughs> right now i'm uh you went no, by. I, I came. I I came from a background of being conceited and arrogant, and I will not forget it. <laughs> and I will continue it for the rest of my days. But you, um, hey, sorry. Hey, when we when you were when you were researching this on my Wikipedia page, does it say I'm a millionaire? <laughs> on your Wikipedia page, it does say a lot of things, which I think I've gathered aren't true. It says you've starred in about four or five different films. Um. It also adds, I think it adds about 10 years on you as well. And that's not just the pictures. That's oh, there's definitely. an actor named Joe Stapleton who died recently. Um, um, who's probably, I want to say he's 20 years older than me, but um, I think he was in his, he died young though. He was in his 50s. So that might, might be a kind of, kind of crossover with that. But um, I mean, you had a fleeting sort of bit, well, you said, uh, alluded to it there with a the comedian sort of thing. You had a little stand up, or you tried stand up in 2002. Yeah, so when I was working at Mad TV, like Bobby Lee, who's a very famous stand-up comedian now and was even still a famous stand-up comedian then, would engage me. As I said, these people are super friendly. Yeah. Oh, Joe, what, what do you want to do? I kind of like, I'm interested in stand-up. And then every Monday he would come in and go, did you stand-up yet? I go, no, no, no. Did you stand-up yet? No, no, no. And then one day he goes, uh, I booked you a slot at the comedy store on Sunday night. Uh, at the comedy potluck. It's impossible <laughs> to get into. Um, and uh, and you, you better show up. And if you don't come, uh, oh, I'm, I'll never speak to you ever again. So <laughs> this is, now I had no idea, okay? The comedy potluck now 
15 years later, I wait in line with a hundred people to try to get in to the comedy potluck at the comedy store. Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, so yes, I did it. Uh, I, I bombed. It was spectacularly bad. Um, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no indication as to whether or not you will be a good comic based on doing poorly your first time up there. Yeah, cause at least you at least you got your you dipped your toe, you got your foot wet sort of thing. You experienced what it's like. Um you had it's, just, um, it's it's like anything else, right? It's like anything else in the world. Like the first time you throw a dart, you might hit a fucking tree, but it doesn't mean you're gonna be a you could end up being the best darts player in the world. Like it is yeah. no indication. So uh I was the problem was it was such an awful experience. Uh-huh that I didn't do it again for 10 years. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in between, you've, you said that, yeah. You So in between that 10-year period of starting to stand up and then coming back to stand up, you had a whole host of poker stuff. Uh, yes. First kind of poker job I've got here was an intern for Card Player uh, Magazine in 2005 at the World Series of Poker. That is correct. And now you've done that with uh, Mr. Scott Huff. Um, yes, you end up doing a lot of stuff with. Were you guys um, friends, like not childhood friends, or were you childhood friends, or did you meet somewhere and just take it from there? Scott and I went to Boston <clears throat> University together, and we were at odds for much of our uh, time there. We were in the same very close friend group, you know, like six to eight people in this friend group who just kind of did everything together. And Scott and I butted heads a lot um, just because I thought he was kind of a dick. And (laughs) and he was, but I was also kind of a dick. Um, And so, and at the time I wasn't capable of recognizing that I was a dick um, for calling him out for being a dick so hard. So anyway, uh, but it be quick, quickly, became apparent that like we were the two most motivated people um to move on from college and turn what we had learned into a career and so we ended up um i was the i graduated early and uh, left all my friends and got here for a year and Mm -hmm. scott was the next person of the group the whole group ended up coming out like six of us um but Scott was the next one. And we kind of, even though we weren't like super tight before, we kind of had nobody else, right? It was like just us. Um, and we discovered poker during that time. Mm-hmm. So like Scott didn't even have furniture in his apartment. We would sit on milk crates and just like deal out, hold of hands to each other and just be like, oh, this is a straight. Like this would have been a flush. Uh, you know, no we had no idea about strategy or anything like that. We were just kind of getting a feel for the game. Yeah. And then uh, like a year or two later, Scott got the internship at card player and I only got it because I drove him out there okay. for the summer. Um, and they were like, Hey, know anybody else who could write? And my Scott's like, yeah, my friend get over there can write. Uh, and they hired me on the spot. Nice. Uh, and then I came back the next day and that was when the world series of poker started. Sorry. My voice is getting all dried out. So I'm just going to grab a soda. By all means. From my quarantine purchase. This is my big quarantine splurge. <laughs> this this mini fridge in my office. 
And uh, a vanilla Coke exploded in there last night. So it's going to be a fun <laughs> afternoon for me. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Yeah, so, I mean, is that how you um, you got into poker? You and Scott were just kind of playing little little games or... Was it, did you watch it on television once and thought, that's, that, that looks good? I only did it because Scott was doing it. I didn't watch poker on TV. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but we, I liked the social aspect of it. I mm-hmm. liked having everybody get together on Friday night and put five bucks in. That was our first sit and goes were five bucks. And uh, it was just a good time. It was a good time to hang out. And I kind of still feel that way about poker. I don't. If I didn't work in poker, I don't think I would follow anything having to do with poker. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like playing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, I mean, did you take a lot from the the WSOP that year? Was it like a an eye-opening experience or? Oh, my God. It was fucking wild, dude. <laughs> so, we got, we got uh, paid. Right. We got paid. It wasn't a lot, but I think it was $500 a week. Okay. And again, and we were being put up uh, uh, right across the street from the Rio. And these like, really, I didn't realize at the time, these like really fucking crappy apartments. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and we got paid. And yes, it was my, like this to ha- imagine your first ever poker experience right i played hollywood park i played like two four right yeah, yeah poker imagine your first real poker experience isn't just to like pop into the casino for like a second and like walk around and take it in the sights and go home i got dropped for 55 days into nevada as like a 24 25 year old guy um with no responsibilities and i'm immediately hanging out with dudes like lane flack and Phil wow. Ivy, and uh, who else was th- that first summer? People like Maria Ho, like, were all young and first on the scene then, and for some reason, they liked us. They thought we were cool, funny guys, me and Scott, so we got invited to all kinds of cool shit. Um, you know, it was the first time I saw someone uh, make a $15,000 roulette spin. <laughs> okay, wow. Um, I was in, standing in the Villaggio and Grinder comes down in his pajamas, <laughs> takes three 5K chips, puts them on three numbers, misses them all, shrugs, and goes back to bed. I have no <laughs> idea to this day what that was all about. But yes, I saw shit like that. And that's when we coined a phrase called the juice. Oh, okay. The juice is what happens to you when you spend too much time in Vegas to the point where normal things don't excite you anymore because it doesn't have the juice. You need the juice. So someone's like, want to go to Applebee's? And you're like, man. And then they're like, you want to drive out into the desert and see how fast we can go before we hit a pothole? Like, this was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like, this is like it just totally skews your perspective of anything like for the first time in my life i didn't care about television i didn't care about i mean i've never cared about sports i had no idea what was going on in the world other than the madness that was the world series of poker well i mean obviously i opened your eyes to a lot of things 
Um, what was it you were doing? Was it you were, were you writing reporting or taking pictures? Yeah, or? tournament reporter. We were just. Um, it was the first time that um, the World Series had given exclusive uh, blogging rights to card players, so they needed interns to just. Yeah. Go do hand histories. That was my start, <laughs> right? Doing live updates. Nice, uh, and that would hold you in good stead for what was to come. I mean. You say you and uh, Scott were uh, close in that. You, you went on yourself. You'd done Poker Wire Radio uh, with Full Tilt and also Poker Road Radio, uh, which was kind of, was it the kind of brainchild of Barry Greenstein and Josie Buck? That's correct. Yes. They, um, they wanted to do something called Pokertainment. Okay. Um, which we all said was a terrible idea. <laughs> but we accepted their generosity anyway. They hired all of us, me and Scott and a bunch of other guys that have been, you know, kind of on the scene for about the same time. And they, they paid us. I think it was 500 bucks a week oh, okay. um, to host podcasts and to come up with ideas for shows and fuck, man, that was generous. Like that was cool. It was our site. They were like, look, we can't pay you very much, but like, <laughs> like you this is your website like you're designing it and we were all too young to really understand how much money was being spent on it you know phil ivy was an investor um oh, okay i think i don't know if i'm supposed to say that i don't think it's a big deal anymore i know for a time it was supposed to be a secret i don't think it's a big deal anymore um i don't think he listens was, to the show anyway so i think you should you could be good Joe. phil's a fan of mine he has google alerts about me uh, so he'll, he'll hear this <laughs> uh but yeah man it was awesome and that's when that's where um huff and i we said look uh we're happy to work for the website we're happy to uh to do the things you want us to do but we want to do something also mm -hmm. we want to do we had uh always wanted to do a podcast together and we had done a couple of episodes just in my closet. Um, this is before anyone was podcasting, you motherfuckers. <laughs> if, I, if, if Scott and I had not stopped podcasting, we would be bigger than Rogan right now. <laughs> we would be, we'd be so filthy fucking rich. We used to beat Rogan, Ross. <laughs> we used to beat Rogan, not all the time, but occasionally we would beat Rogan back then. And, um, Anyway, Poker Road, we asked, can we please do a non-poker show called Two Jacks in the Hole? They said yes. And uh, Two Jacks in the Hole ended up outliving Poker Road by a, a significant margin. Uh -huh. And I'm, I will always be grateful to Joe and Barry and unnamed other investors uh, who were so supportive and generous with us back then. Um, I would definitely <clears throat> not be where I'm at if I hadn't had uh, those guys in my corner. I mean, because the two jacks in the hole, that was kind of turned into, or was it the Huff and Stape show? Was that the same sort of yes. thing? The same uh, show. We just, we figured we needed a rebrand because like friends of ours uh, who've known us for like a decade would be like, hey, it's my friend Joe Stapleton. He does this uh, poker podcast called Two Jacks in the Hole. And I'm like, it's not a poker podcast. <laughs> uh, although now... I would probably just call it a poker podcast again and not not um, have any poker in it because now I think it helps to be niche. It's like, oh, it's these two poker guys talking. Do they talk about poker? No. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, Huff and Stapes, the, the greatest thing I've ever been a part of to this day, to this day, the best thing. I, I miss it every day, Ross. Yeah, um, I, I've listened to a few of them uh, a while ago. It's like you kind of bounced off each other, as it were. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, poker, poker, poker. Yeah, it's good to have a, a change, like being out there, completely changing it differently. Because you know yourself, as much as we both work in the industry, it can be a bit too much at times. So it's good to get a change. And if there's something you're good at, roll with it, run with it. And you guys certainly did, um, especially yourself. You then went on from that <laughs> to um, you done the show for Ultimate Bet was it Poker Night or something like that? Poker Two Night was a uh, Sports Center style uh, news magazine show that I believe aired on Fox Sports. Yeah, Fox Sports Net, <clears throat> and um, I was the head writer. There we go again. <laughs> Huff and Seabach uh-huh. uh, were the hosts of the show, the presenters. And we went into it with the assumption that the three of us were producing the show together uh, and they would also host, right? So they would get, they would do two roles. Okay. So, um, but what ended up happening was they did one role which was uh, to be the presenters. And I did three roles, <laughs> which was to produce, but also do all the work of the other two guys who weren't doing any producing. Ah, okay. And it quickly, in, and also they were getting paid double what I was getting paid. So I was like, yeah. I am not happy with the situation. I was like a real cranky bitch for a while. And that's <laughs> when I decided Ross Gaff, right then and there, because I had never admitted to myself that I wanted to be in front of the camera, even though I really did. Yeah, right? okay. Even though I really did. And so it happened in that moment when I was getting screamed at for being a terrible writer, and Huff and Seabach were getting praise for being terrific presenters. <laughs> I said, I'm being a writer sucks. I'm going to be in front of the camera and I'm going to write all of my own stuff because, because I can make this work because I can make this writing work. I guess I should have been writing for myself. And so uh, I got very lucky and shortly thereafter I was considered for uh, the color commentator role on the big game, yes. which I had to no business, no business being put in um but man what a, what a decision that was yeah because you you took to that like a duck to water as it were um you knew you were talking about you brought the you know you brought the the hilarity to it you kind of made it a little bit more light-hearted as opposed to people tanking all the time uh, raise call fold you made it a lot more interesting with the poker stars the big game 2009 um during that, did you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to run with this. I'm going to make a massive career out of this. Or did you just think, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to see what happens. And if I'm lucky enough, I'm going to go with it. Or did you take the bull by the horns? Um, I thought the big game was going to run forever. Uh -huh. It was, 
a fantastic show. So easy to make, right? You shoot like a week's worth of episodes in one day. Um, it was, so I was just like, this is great. Like I'll do this for a bunch of years and then I'll probably like do some, host some other show on Fox after this. Um, and the big game, as you know, got smacked in the face by Black Friday halfway yes. through season two. Um, so uh, as often is the case in my life, Black Friday ended up affecting me almost not at all, almost for the better, yeah. to be honest. Because when the big game got axed, the European Poker Tour did not. Yes. And the people that were running things on the European Poker Tour were like, hey, this Stapleton guy is all right. Maybe <laughs> we should put him on the European Poker Tour. And I was blessed uh -huh. with that chapter of my life that's still continuing, but the chapter in which I moved to London. Yeah. Um, um, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you've not really looked back. Uh, you moved to London 2012 time, 2013, where you kind of first started um, getting your feet wet with the EPT. And um, you met, was it James Hartigan? Was that the first time you came into contact Hartigan with James? I, Hartigan and I did, a, I did a guest commentary spot on the NAPT. Uh-huh. And... Um, Turns out that was an audition for me. I didn't know that. I was just, <laughs> okay. I was like, sure, yeah, I'll hop on for a little bit. And James and I did pretty well together. And then we did our first paid gig at a different NAPT. Um, that was in Venetian, I believe. No, Venetian, I don't know. He remembers this. He remember, my better half remembers the story better than I do. Um, but anyway, yeah, then we started doing an NAPT. At, we did like one NAPT live. Uh-huh. And then they were like, yeah, we think, uh, we think we like this guy. And then I was very lucky that uh, Francine Watson, who runs things over at the EPT TV show, also liked me, uh, as well as lots of people at Poker Stars have always had uh, good people in my corner. Or I would have never gotten anywhere if it weren't for like the big game, because I had Barry and Daniel and this guy, John Caldwell, in my corner. Um, uh, you know, they all are like, People are like, we don't get it. Like, this kid's never done anything. He's not even really that good at poker. Um, and they were like, listen to us. We promise you this is the right decision. Um, and who knows? Like, maybe it was the wrong decision. Maybe whoever they put there would be what would be like fucking Jordan Peele level famous now. But, um, but yeah, you know, I had fun. Did yeah. you? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think there should be more fun in poker. Um, regardless whether it's at the table, behind the table, behind the mic, as you say. I mean, do you ever get nervous or did you ever get nervous before you went on air, So, it was, as it were? I mean, you've had some great uh, co-commentators, as I think that's what you would call them, as James, uh, a guy called, I think, was it Chris Hansen and also Chris Rose. Is that the co-commentator yeah. with the big game with you? Chris Rose is a broadcasting legend, like one of the best sports broadcasters of all time. He's uh, he does the Super Bowl, he does the Baseball World Series. He's uh, I don't I mean, he doesn't commentate those events, but as a, he's an on the field uh -huh. reporter for those things, he's just fantastic. Like one of the most talented people. Honestly, it's crazy because Chris is a way bigger name 
But Hardigan and Chris Rose are the two most talented people I have ever worked with sure. um, in how just good they are at their jobs. Like, you know, my job is subjective, so it's hard to say it, right? And what James does and what Chris does is way more objective. Uh-huh. Get the words out, say it cleanly, set the scene. Like there's certain things you just have to do in man. Oh man. If they are both <laughs> absolutely great. And I've never, I can't say never. It probably took about six months before I heard Chris Rose flub a line for the oh, first time. <clears throat> like just normal everyday stuff. You're like, Hey, let me take that again. Chris never flubbed a line. It was crazy. Uh, Hardigan flubs slightly more often, but as far as like a live presenter to get you to, to get your brand's message across, to call the action, to um, promote things, to build excitement, there's nobody better in the world at that than Hardigan. He yeah. is just fucking phenomenal at that job. Yeah, because I mean, I, I think um, from what I've heard, because obviously you guys recently have been doing the work with poker stars of is it reliving uh, EPT classics of yesteryear, and also you do for people that don't know, kind of should know, you do the commentating on the EPTs and uh, for poker stars and as you say the big game. Do you feel that the blend that you what you bring and what he brings is a perfect sort of glue that makes this thing run and not blowing smoke up your ass, but there is rarely a, I mean, you do get people that go, I, 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 and then somebody else to jump in. But with you guys, it's kind of, you know, there's no end. It's always boom, 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 boom. We work very, very well together. <clears throat> um, there's just, I, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, some of it is inspiration. Some of it is perspiration. You know, just, we've been doing it for a decade. Um, that's a long time to work with somebody. Um, And yes, we just kind of, uh, yeah, it just works really well. I've been very lucky um, that, you know, and James is not an unfunny guy himself. James can be quite funny, but he's too good at that job. Yes. To be as funny as I attempt to be. Um, he's just not like if I was doing intros, I would be like write jokes, but no, he's your guy that you want. Yeah. Being the serious voice of your brand. Like, I, you know, it's just not something I can do. And James also leaves me the comedy moments knowing that that's what I'm there for. You know, he doesn't yeah. always take a joke that he knows he can or take a joke as far as he can because he lets me have those moments. So, uh, yeah, it just, I always say that um, James steers the ship and I fire the guns. <laughs> Except sometimes I just fire them directly into our own bow. I'm sink. <laughs> and James has to come out of the, out of the nest and smack, smack the shit out of me. <laughs> and then we get back on course. Because, I mean, yeah, as you say, you started EPT, you moved to London, sort of coincided. 2012 and that is when you would you say you resurrected your comedy career or stand-up career or i guess resurrected more like did it for the real first time Ah, okay um 
I was living in London, didn't have much to do, was working a couple of days a week for the PT, but like, I was like, look, there's no excuse. Yeah. Um, you need to just start doing this. And I did. And we stuck with it. And I got a little help along the way. Um, I was very lucky that some things lined up so that I didn't start at the very bottom of stand-up mm -hmm. comedy, right? I instead of starting at zero, I started at one or two. Because <laughs> um, I already had confidence from doing lots of live and TV work already, right? So stage fright wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. I already had a stage presence. And then this part, talk about, I don't know, I don't know what kind of privilege this is. TV presenter privilege. Every once in a while, I would go to like try to book a terrible open mic gig, like in a pub next to a lamp, right? Um, and every once in a while, the person running that gig would be like, are you Joe Stapleton from Channel 4? And I'd be like, yeah. They'd be like, you don't have to do that gig. Let you could do this other gig. That's a way better gig. Now, granted, it wasn't the comedy store. It wasn't uh -huh. like you know playing the Leicester Theater, but it was that I got out of the place with no microphone and a lamp. Uh, okay, uh, a lot faster than a lot of other people do. And the crazy thing about stand-up comedy is that you rise to the occasion. So it is way harder to make a room full of six people laugh than it is to make a room full of six hundred people laugh. Um, and so when you get better gigs, you're getting better crowds uh -huh. and it's harder to fail. So I just like hit the ground running as a standup in London and uh, advanced a lot quicker than my talent <laughs> should have. <laughs> and if I had to get by on talent alone, I wouldn't have moved up as quickly. And subsequently I may have quit. Like I didn't, I've, I've, I've had like every comedian is like I ever everyone bombs. I've bombed. I've been really lucky. I have bombed like a bunch of times, but like not that many. Like maybe like a half dozen times in my life. There've been plenty of times where I was like, "Oh, that was just <laughs> fine." Those those times still get to me. But as far as like bombing is concerned, it's happened really infrequently for me, um, which is uh, which is which is weird. But also, I don't do it as much as other comics. Once I left London, now I do, I do comedy, like, you know, nothing now, but before quarantine, hey, it was like a couple times a month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think that you put that down to your sort of character, uh, the, what you've worked on, or do you just put it in the case of your, your gritty determination? You're like, you know what, this is what I want to do. I'm going to keep it going. I'm, I'm going to learn if I make a mistake and then kick back on with that. Or do you just put it down to luck? I, I can't put it down to luck exactly because I do look, there is some talent in there mm -hmm. and there is some work ethic in there. It's just impossible for me to pat myself on the back over work ethic and talent when I know it hasn't been that good. Like I just know, like my comic friends do are doing comedy like six, seven nights a week. And like I said, I'm doing it like three times a month. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's hard for me to, to, to like really say like that that is because of me. I think it's because, you know, this things just lined up the right way for me to, to advance a little bit faster than I should. Having said that, I'm pretty good. Yes. Yes. I'm not I'm amazing, no. but I'm pretty good. 
I would uh, echo your what you've said. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you do bring a lot of that to uh, the Poker Stars shows. You've done the Shark Cage, you've done the Sunday Million Highlight, you've done the Scoop Radio, and it all works, it all intertwines. You've even done, from what I've got here, Challenge Tapes. I think it was 2014 where you done... Um, you had the tomatoes getting thrown at you for telling jokes by Fatima, Chris Moneymaker, and Teal. Correct. You've done the breakfast smoothie challenge with Jason Mercer. We've seen recently when the EPTs, you would go out on the beach and you would do certain things. You'd dress up and try and sell stuff. Honestly, who comes up with these ideas? Is it yourself? Do you get free reign to do these things? Yeah, I mean, um, trying to think. Usually what would happen when we would do something fun on the EPT um, would be like whether it be the challenge tapes or the skits. I don't remember the skits we used to do. It would be me biting off this huge project that was a nearly impossible task for anyone to do. Mm -hmm. And then making myself sick over it. And then every single time being like pretty, almost every time being pretty pleased with the result. And then, but being like, <clears throat> fuck, well, I got away with it this time. I don't know what we're going to do for next time. And so challenge tapes was mostly my ideas. Uh-huh. Um, I can't say they were none from anybody else because I don't really remember. Yeah. But it was one of those things where it's not that nobody helped. It was that people, I guess, knew they didn't have to. Like they knew I was just going to get it done. And I would ask for help, hey, suggestions sometimes. And people were, were you know, would have good ones uh, regularly. But, <laughs> but like the skits, for example... I, we had to do, it was like nine episodes, three skits per episode. So I was right. I had to write like 30, 27 skits oh. all under a minute, no other actors, no props, really. Um, you know, no special, like, you know, it was just this Herculean task and of like the five or six times we did that. Right. So like 150 sketches, I would say, fewer than 10% of them were written by anybody other than me. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm a control freak too, right? So like, I'm definitely not like, I'm not bragging. I'm <laughs> bragging a little bit. That's a lot of things to write. Um, not complaining though, because I like that. I like that. I more or less got free reign. Of course, there are tons of parameters, you know, I had to stick to. Um, and I came at first, when my bosses would tell me I couldn't say something on television, I would get real mad. Okay. I'd get real mad about it. Like, oh, uh, uh. and then I realized all they were doing was saving my ass. <laughs> when Francine won't let me say something on TV, she's really saving my ass from me. <laughs> because generally it's something I shouldn't be saying on television. So I've come to terms with the fact that when I get told no now, I'm like, you know what? That's probably for the best. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, from a work point of view, would it be easier or better for you if you were to be commentating live, for instance, in Monaco, in Monte Carlo, 
about what's going on live uh, in front of the stage with James, as opposed to sitting in your house, watching or getting live feeds in from final tables online. I'm not going to lie, dude. It's pretty fun getting to see the world. Yeah. Um, so I will always, 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 always be down for live poker, assuming it's safe. I mean, yes, of course. Um, yeah. yeah. So, no, if I had to choose, I would definitely take live European poker tour over online European poker tour. But as I said before, some poker is uh, better than no poker. 100%. And if it would mean a lot to someone that we have EPT Dublin. Uh huh from online next year sure why not yeah what i like about poker stars uh what they're doing here at the stadium series right yeah is that you know maybe there's a better idea out there than just european poker tour online let's have an online festival and let's celebrate europe but maybe we just don't call it that maybe we make it something different special and better because it's online. Let's make online work for us. Like this stadium series, the way you can, that all the low and medium buy-in tournaments are both tournaments, but also feeders mm -hmm. into the grand final. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's really fun. Like, I'm pretty excited to, uh, to do some coverage of it because I think, I think it's going to be like a little PSPC, right? Like yeah. a bunch of people winning their way to like a massive, buy an online event 5200 i mean come on we're gonna have so many so many wrecks it's sure. gonna be a blast i mean is that coming up soon is that in the foreseeable future that starts the uh the stadium series starts july 1st i believe but we are not nah, i think it's like the fourth anyway mm -hmm. we're, we're we're covering it uh -huh. we're covering it starting on the 14th of july straight through until August 4th, every single day going on the air at 5.30, I believe, 5.30, 6 o'clock, somewhere in that time in the UK. Oh, okay, cool. And it's going to be dope. <laughs> so it's something to look forward to for the online player, uh, from, as you say, from micro stakes all the way up to the, uh, what do you say, 5,200? 5,200 is the, 5, uh, the grand final of the stadium series. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the little person can get in for small stakes and win chunks. So do it. Look online. And that's at PokerStars.com? Yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know what they go by <laughs> these days. I'm more of a dot, dot .net guy myself. Yeah, of course. Uh, where, where would you say is the – I mean, you say you, you love traveling, you love the traveling with the job. Where would you say would be your best stop? Have you got a favorite stop, or are they all kind of – they're all have great memories. Like even Deauville was fucking boring, but I had some good times in Deauville. I had a couple of fun nights in Deauville, miraculously. Prague, always a shit show. Barcelona, total shit show. Monte Carlo, a little bit less of a shit show, but still pretty shit showy. Like, I, they've all been so fun in their own ways. Uh, it's... Again, once I stopped going out, the more fun the place was, the less I enjoyed being there. Ah, okay. Like Barcelona, like I can't, I just can't go out and party in Barcelona. Like I just, my voice gets wrecked. And so everyone is like, you know, and it's a late city, right? So everyone's like out all hours having tapas and going dancing. And I, I, I can't do any of it. 
Uh, so I was just kind of grumpy, like in Barcelona, <laughs> like, when do we get out of here? It's hot. It's hot. I can't do anything. Um, 100% agree with you about that, about it being hot. It's, for the time of yeah. year, it's crazy. It's a nice place, but it's just crazy hot. Crazy yeah. hot. And, and the people are behaving like it's hot too, right? It's like yeah. a wild, fun <laughs> place. So I just get real mad that I can't go out Barcelona. So Prague probably is um, – because an old man now, you can, it's like it's a nice old man city, right? You just go yes. out, uh, walk around to the beautiful city, have a couple of glasses of mulled wine. We always go in December, so you have like mulled wine and hot whiskey and take in the sights and then stroll home. It's like a perfect for my stupid ass responsible career. <laughs> and the weather's brilliant as well. I prefer the cold weather and the hot weather when I'm working. It's... Um... It's beautiful. It's nice and icy cold. And being from Scotland, anything above zero degrees is like the summer anyway. So, you know. Wetsville, yeah. Yeah. Um, so going forward, um, right up, you have the card. You're starring in the Card Counter movie, which is due out this year. I'm not starring in it. I, I have a small part, a small non-speaking role. But you're still um, in it. Yes, I am in the movie. I am pretty easy to spot uh, in the movie. Uh, but I was working on it as a poker consultant. So ah, okay. uh, I was there on set to make sure they were getting the poker right. There was a big tournament. I had to tell a bunch of extras how to be dealers. <laughs> um, really fun shoot. Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Willem Dafoe, directed by Paul Schrader, who is a fucking legend. Taxi driver, Raging Bull, mm. Mishima. Uh, he has done some really classic movies um yeah uh fun times got shut down for covid but they're going back they're supposed to start shooting i think on the 6th or 7th uh-huh. of july so hopefully that gets finished everyone gets to see it real soon i hope yes get a signed autograph picture in the post joy boy that'll do for me yeah, buddy, anytime. <laughs> so going, going forward, um, say, for instance, COVID or Corona, whatever you want to call it, was to end in the next couple of weeks. Sure. What is the future hold, or the immediate future hold for Joe Stapleton? I would take a vacation. I think that probably every person on this planet deserves a vacation right now, yeah. wherever it is that makes you happy whether it's the woods or a beach or a pool or Disney world, just something to disconnect. And um, man, Vegas sounds pretty fun. If COVID were over tomorrow, I think I'd go to Vegas for a couple of nights, to be honest, play a little poker, spend some time at the pool, uh, press buttons. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do is sit at the bar and press buttons. Uh, Drink some Miller Lights, taking a show. Uh, I mean, I would just, I would do Vegas for reals, probably, yeah. if I could. Uh, it's making me sad just to think about it. Yeah, um, myself and my fiance were supposed to be going on the 6th of July. Uh, I've never been to Vegas before, so it is like a kick in the balls not to be able to go. So I can sympathize with a lot of people. Um, but you're going to continue and run with the poker, as you say, the stadium series uh, with Poker Stars. And hopefully we get back to live poker sometime soon and uh, can get back to normality. 
Yeah, man, I personally I'm, I'm, can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling for you guys to get back to work soon. But anyway, Joe, it has been an absolute breeze. The, the time has flown past. I appreciate your time, and you take care of yourself. And Thanks, thank you Ross. You, you too, and don't hug your fiance for me. Okay. <laughs> thank you again, buddy.